0: Podcast. I'm your guest host, John Young. Today it's my pleasure to sit down with businessman and school board president A.J. Belukov. AJ, a resident of Boise, Idaho, recently ran for governor of Idaho as a Democrat. AJ, welcome to the podcast.
1: Well, thank you. Thank you for the invitation.
0: You're welcome. Let's start out with your background. How is it that you ended up in Boise, Idaho?
1: Well, uh, my wife and I were living in Los Angeles after I I had graduated from college with a degree in accounting. Uh, I took a job in Los Angeles with a large CPA firm, and after 12 years in Los Angeles, we decided we wanted to find a better place to raise our kids. And uh, my mother-in-law was born and raised in Boise, so we came here and visited, and it just felt like a great place. And so we moved here 33 years ago, and it has been a great place. (laughs)
0: You are a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Give us an idea of uh, when you joined the church, how that happened, and what your experience has been as far as callings.
1: Okay, I was was baptized when I was eight and a half years old. Uh, My father and I uh, joined the church on the same day. Uh, Prior to that, I had been raised in the Catholic Church. My father was Catholic. My mother was a less active member of the LDS Church. And um, about the time I was eight years old, uh, my mother decided she ought to get active in the church. And my father began taking missionary discussions. And about six months later, uh, he decided to be baptized. And I was baptized with him at the same time. So I was essentially raised in the LDS church from the age of eight and a half years old on. And uh, went came through all the youth programs, the Aaronic Priesthood, and served a mission to Argentina when I was 19 and um, served in a lot of different callings. When you'd be my age, you serve in most callings. Uh, I I served for um, six years as the bishop of my ward, and I'm currently serving as a counselor in the state presidency.
0: AJ, you ran for governor as a Democrat. Do you see any conflict between running as a Democrat and being a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints?
1: I, I don't see any more conflicts than there are between the LDS Church and the Republican Party.
0: Let's go over some concerns a lot of people have when they think of the Democratic Party. Does legalized abortion somehow run afoul of the Church?
1: Well, it can, depending on the the reason for the abortion and so forth. The Church's position is pretty clear that it's opposed to abortion except in rare circumstances. And I think that's compatible with the plank in the Democratic Party platform that says that the that uh, they believe in keeping abortion legal, safe, and rare. So I think it's very, very compatible. The church does recognize that there may be situations rare when an abortion may be justified.
0: Yeah, and um, <coughs> what do you see as possible ways we as a, a community and perhaps as a government, uh, what can we do to... Encourage rare abortion. Make sure that it happens as little as possible.
1: Well, I, I think it, it starts with teaching correct principles. Uh, we should, as a society, teach the the benefits of of living a chaste life, and because that will av- av- avoid unwanted pregnancies in the first place. But if if people decline that, uh, then we should emphasize the importance of. Uh, putting unwanted children up for adoption. There are lots of uh, people who, uh, for whatever reason, don't have their own biological children and are perfectly willing and anxious to raise children, and, mm-hmm. and we, we ought to be emphasizing that more. But when it comes right down to it, uh, the decision really belongs to the, the woman in consultation with her doctor, her family, her church leaders, uh, whoever else she feels confident in, in uh, getting advice and, and uh, help when, when that situation arises.
0: People on the Republican or right-wing side politically uh, look at freedom of choice differently. A common analogy is given where, say, you have a, a person named Peter. You can't say, well, can I take something from Peter because I want it? Well, no, I can't well, can you and I go and take something from Peter because we want to have it or because we want to do something good with it? And you think, well, no, you can't just take it from him. But as a government, we we do tax people. And therefore, if we can't take from Peter as a group and give to Paul, then how can a government have that authority? Uh, What is your response to that kind of reasoning?
1: Well, I think first people have to recognize that we are part of a community, a state, and a country. And as being part of that community, we have both kind of written and unwritten laws that that we obey the laws, that we uh, do those things that the majority of the community agrees on. And by you know, for example, um, you brought up taxes well, in order to do some of the things that we as a community want the government to do. and think in terms of of fire protection or police protection or or maintaining good roads and bridges and so forth or even providing education uh when when we decide that that's as a community that's what we want to do then the question becomes well who's going to pay for it well we as a community have to pay for it and we pass tax laws in one form or another to raise the funds to pay for these services that we as a community Want And by agreeing to live in the community, even if you voted against the tax increase, if you're in the minority, then you have an obligation to obey the law and be part of the community that you've chosen to live in.
0: Okay, so you say community you've chosen to live in. Are you approaching this from a position that if you don't want to pay the tax, you need to get out of your community?
1: No, I'm I'm approaching it from the fact that when you are part of a community, when you live someplace, you're part of a community, mm-hmm. and and you have um, kind of tacitly agreed to live by the community rules To if you're going to be part of that community. And if the community decides that we want to tax everyone because we want to have fire protection in our community, even though you may say, well, I can take care of myself and I don't want fire protection, it doesn't matter. You're part of the community, and so you have to pay your fair share. And... And if people feel strongly enough about it, take the income tax. I mean, you can always move to Nevada that doesn't have an income tax if, if, if you felt that strongly about not paying a tax. But if you choose to be part of a community, then you should be a good citizen in that community. Do
0: you see a problem with the feeling of community among fellow citizens? Uh, I hear a lot of talk from, you know, Republicans, even Democrats to some extent, that justify law based on the benefit to an individual. Uh, I would not want to see, I might think it's a good idea to have a minimum wage hike because it might benefit me, or someone might want to see uh, less gun laws because then you can buy more guns. You know, there's uh, this attitude and what's in it for me. Uh, have you seen that that is a problem with the way people think? We don't seem to hear as much uh well, what can I do to help others in our community?
1: I think to some extent that is uh, th- that is an issue. Uh, a lot of times when we're talking about the government, we talk about them, and really the government is us. It's all of us. And and I think if if we uh, focus and remember that the government is our servant, and and we as a community decide what's going to happen and how we're to act. Uh, we can have some influence, even if you're in the minority. You have some influence. Uh, you may not get your way, but uh, but I think that's that's rare that you're always in the minority because there's sometimes when you're in the majority.
0: I feel the church does a good job of encouraging that civic responsibility of, for others, of making personal sacrifices for others. And, you know, that's a message I feel like I seem to only be getting at church, and I hope that does spread to the larger society more often. As a school board president, uh, do you do anything to ensure that that message of student responsibility gets out to the students and understood?
1: Well, in the Boise School District, uh, our mission is to educate and graduate students to be prepared for college, career, and citizenship. And when you read... The Idaho Constitution, the the section on education, it talks about that the main reason we have our system of public schools is to create good citizens. It starts out by saying the stability of a Republican form of government, depending mainly on the intelligence of the people, therefore it shall be the duty of the legislature to establish and maintain a system of free common schools. and Back in those days when the Constitution was written, common schools meant public schools, the ones that, you know, that we go to, we send our children to. And <clears throat> so I, I think it's important to, uh, to remember that w- the, one of the main goals, or if not the main goal, is, is to create good citizens, people who will be prepared to, and, and able to participate in our democracy that they will make informed choices when they vote for laws and candidates, that they'll be prepared to serve on juries, they'll be prepared to perhaps run for office and serve on school boards or city councils or in the legislature or even as the governor. Uh, That That's the purpose of education. And then there's some side purposes that we want them to be prepared to go to work, to be successful in college and be successful in life. But according to our Constitution, the main reason they have public schools is to create well-prepared citizens.
0: Now, recently, I was listening to a a radio station, and there was a former senator who uh, talked about your campaign, and he was shocked that you, in his opinion, went against uh, your very religious beliefs and church membership when you uh, supported Add the Words, which is a law that we're trying to to grant non-discrimination rights uh, to uh, gay and lesbian bisexual transgender people and also because you uh, were praising federal court decision of striking down gay marriage in in Idaho how would you
1: respond to that assertion? Well, well, first, I wonder if he would still make that assertion after listening to Elder Oaks talk in general conference last October and after hearing the church's news conference a week or so ago when three members of the Quorum of the Twelve came out and essentially said the same thing I've been saying in my campaign. Now, you use the word praise the decision. I don't know that I praised the decision. Mm-hmm. What I said was I believed that the decision was correct. In that Idaho's ban on, on same-sex marriage violated the United States Constitution.
0: I mean, how do I understand this? Because the ruling may have been rationally, logically correct, but maybe there's some other reason why, you know, you seem a little bit standoffish.
1: On, on, on standoffish, how so?
0: That the ruling was correct, but you wouldn't say that you would have praised it.
1: Yeah, I, I don't want people to misinterpret what I'm saying, and, and perhaps this individual has misinterpreted it. Just because uh, something should be legal doesn't necessarily make it moral. And doesn't, uh you know, I, th- I think we often conflate morality with legality. Just mm-hmm. because something is legal doesn't make it moral. And we could we could use the same example with our church's word of wisdom. Um, you know, it is perfectly legal, To, to drink alcohol. But our church teaches that we shouldn't do that. And in fact, in our view, it's, it's a violation of morality to consume alcohol. Now, do I believe that sales of alcohol should be illegal? No. Am I gonna try to see if we can change the church's teaching and stance on consumption of alcohol? Of course not. I still believe that the church's stance is correct. But I also believe that people have the agency to choose whether or not to obey the Word of Wisdom or to obey the law of, of, of marriage, for example, the Lord's law of marriage. Just because something's legal doesn't change the morality.
0: How would you describe the difference between a moral law, when do you codify it into governmental law versus when you don't?
1: Well, you know, I guess the, the when, when you codify it into into Law would be if, if a person's behavior or actions would harm someone else, then we ought to make it illegal. If, if it's, uh, the kinds of behavior that doesn't infringe on other people's freedom and rights and, and doesn't injure them, then probably it shouldn't be codified into, into law.
0: Yeah, that gets into a bit of philosophy. I remember John Adams said that human happiness is the end of government. And when he said end, he meant the purpose of government. And I think even in his own words, he didn't quite know how to (laughs) maybe perhaps answer that question other than to say, you know, what accumulates the the greatest opportunities and growth uh, of humanity and now I personally think sometimes, you know, it, it depends. You know, you give people the right to make their own mistakes in a lot of situations, but in a lot of other situations we try to discourage those mistakes or even outright ban them. Now during your campaign, AJ, we had some advertising that came out against you that was, in my opinion, <laughs> less than truthful. I think you were accused of being an Obama liberal, and I think we you saw your picture next to President Obama's, and gosh, most of those advertisements. And in one case, uh, we actually had an advertisement that was intended to.
1: I think I think I know which which um, I knew it, I which commercial remember. you're you're talking about. It was one that. Came out, uh, supposedly giving reasons to vote for me. It started out by saying, at last, what Democrat we can vote for. And then it gave a bunch of reasons that misrepresented my, my exactly. position. Yeah. The, the idea being to, um, uh, bring back into the fold those Republicans and independents who, who were attracted to the things I, I said. It was, it was basically meant to trick people into to, to voting for Governor Otter instead of me, and uh, there were other ads that were uh, basically lies. The Republican Governors Association spent 1.2 million dollars, and the Idaho Association of Commerce and In- Industry spent uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars on advertising that misrepresented me and my stances. And I wish I, I wish there were laws that would so, there were consequences when people did that, because what they've done is they've they've um when 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 they deal in lies like that, they've hijacked the election they've 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 tricked and misled voters instead of informing them the The campaign season should be all about informing voters and helping them learn who each of the candidates are so they can make an informed choice when they get into the the voting booth. And and when you lie and misrepresent the opponent, you're you're confusing voters. You're not shedding light on on uh, on either the opponent or your your candidate. And and I I think that kind of advertising is is immoral. You know, uh, just last week we we saw a headline that Idaho uh, gets twenty one and a half million dollars because of, of some uh consumer Uh, advertising that was not truthful. And, and the Attorney General had made a statement that, that said, uh, you know, when they, when they mislead the public like that, they have to pay, pay the damages. Well, I wish we had laws like that that, that regulated political campaigns, not just consumer advertising.
0: Yeah, I think one defense that I heard of. Uh, One of the campaigns against you, which made some false claims about your intent, Uh, I remember this entity responded to me by saying, this isn't a misstatement of fact. We're just talking about what the facts really mean, which I found hard to understand, because if you run as a Democrat, do I have to interpret that as meaning that you are trying to further Obama's agenda? I had a hard time understanding that, but at the same time, it seemed to make total sense to that person.
1: Yeah, and 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 they have confused opinion with fact. What they what those that advertising did was put forth an opinion as though it were fact. The fact that I'm a Democrat, that I supported Obama, which I didn't. You know, they ignored the fact that in the last presidential election, I voted for Mitt Romney. I gave Mitt Romney money. Um, I did not give money. To uh, President Obama, and yet knowing that, and they knew that; these advertisers knew that. Um, yeah. You know, these organizations that bought those ads knew those facts, and yet, in spite of knowing that, they alleged that I, my agenda was to further the Obama agenda here in Idaho.
0: Wow, it sounds like you were trying to further the Romney agenda. Maybe. They- <laughs> not, not, not necessarily. <laughs> I know. I know. I just- Yeah, I just think it's funny if you can make either case. That's one of the ways I interpreted what they did. Is these are mistakes that maybe elementary school children can make, but adults were making them, and so you -hmm. have to wonder if it was a mistake or interpretation or just outright misrepresenting.
1: Well, you know, I I went and talked with uh, the head of of IACI and talked Mm -hmm. to him about that. He tried to justify what they were doing by saying that this has always been done since the birth of our country. You should have you should read what um, um, Adams and Jefferson said about each other. It was horrible. He says, at least now we have to back it up with, with some facts. Uh, and, you know, they can't back it up with facts. They take statements out of context. They interpret things, actions, uh, misinterpret, and present that as, as uh, justification for the lies and misrepresentations that they uh, promulgate. You know, I was going to go back to the previous question you had asked about, uh-huh. about, um, <clears throat> when, when we should make laws versus, you know, uh, you know, morality versus laws and so forth.
0: And, okay. and I would
1: just, uh, turn people to the 134th section of the Doctrine and Covenants, which, which gives our churches and the Lord's interpretation of government and why they're instituted. You know, it may, um, it, it it starts out by saying that we believe governments were instituted of God for the benefit of man and and then it talks about in in verse 2 that that we should uh, make laws that are are framed law, um, laws are framed and held inviolate as will secure each individual's the, the each individual the free exercise of conscience the right and control of property and the protection of life, you know, and I think that's that kind of gives us some direction as to when we should make laws and when we should refrain from making laws.
0: So you talk about negative campaigning and wanting to, you know, see some way we can legally prevent some of these misrepresentations. Uh, how have you explored that recently?
1: Well, I've mainly been, been thinking about how to best to uh, – to explore that or 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 bring that about i haven't really taken any action yet i want to take a um a considered and and thoughtful approach to that and i think it's appropriate to let a little bit of time um, lapse between my campaign and when i would do something but i'd very much like to see um, the state make some kind of a a statement about truth in advertising for campaigns. And, you know, I'm not the first person to be misrepresented. Uh, Both Republicans and Democrats have been misrepresented. I I remember when uh, Senator Winder, Chuck Winder, ran for mayor of Boise, you know, a couple days before um, the the mayoral election, uh, there was some uh, telephone calls made that totally misrepresented Senator Winder. And, and he ended up losing that election. Well, was that right? Of, of course not. And, and, and so I, I don't think I'm the only victim of misrepresentation and, and, and lies in political campaigns. So I think that if we approach it the correct way, there'll be some sympathy on both sides of the aisle for, uh, at least making a statement that we expect some truthfulness in, in advertising.
0: I want to go back to your, Statement during your campaign uh, about the, about striking down the ban on gay marriage in Idaho. I, I know you made that statement publicly that you felt that that was the right decision uh, by the courts uh, to strike down our ban on gay marriage. But at the same time, you know, you're an active member of the church and you have a calling in a state presidency. Uh, did you hear any complaints from anyone in the church, you know, your state president or anyone higher? Were there any concerns that came to you from any member of the church about your statement?
1: Uh, none whatsoever. No, okay. no, nobody, nobody, um, uh, said my position was wrong or that I misstated or misrepresented or anything or that it was in conflict with the church. And in fact, um, I have, uh, uh had had the uh public affairs director for the church in Idaho read my position statement on on uh, gay marriage and I specifically asked him to to see if there was anything in there that was contrary to the church's position, and he assured me that it was uh, right in line with the church's position and I think we can see that I, again i i I call your attention to the uh the recent news uh, conference held by the church to clarify its position, which was right in line with what I was saying all along.
0: So during your campaign, you supported the Add the Words movement in Idaho. I'm curious to know how you felt about the the tactics that were used. A lot of LGBT members of the community and their allies uh, went into the Capitol building and uh, stood in front of the doors to the governor's office and the legislature uh, to, well, increase awareness illegally. Um, what effect did that have on on you? And do you agree with that kind of uh, making that kind of a statement or not?
1: Well, well, certainly in in the United States we have a history of of uh, protests when we uh, are trying to get laws changed. Uh, with the benefit of history, we look back on Dr. Martin Luther King and some of his civil disobedience, uh, as, as justified and appropriate. I don't know how history will look at, at, at the demonstrations at the Capitol. You have to remember that, that people had been asking for a hearing for eight years and they'd been stonewalled by the legislature. And so in their mind, they were, um, uh, you know, I guess, uh, raising the bar or or uh, uh, escalating the the, the requests. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if that was effective or not. Uh, my question about a lot of those things uh, that doesn't necessarily center around whether or not you have the right to do that. I, I do believe they have the right to do that. My question is more, is that the most effective way to promote your agenda? And, and I still question whether that was very effective. Uh, people may say that it was because they got a hearing this year. Uh, I don't know if if that if those protests caused that, or or there were other things that we don't know about that that caused the legislature to finally grant a hearing at least, even though they didn't get the the bill out of committee.
0: Yeah, I know. I'm one of those who saw the mm-hmm. the add the words demonstrations, mm-hmm. and personally, I, I was moved by them and. And I felt, you know, to a certain extent, the disappointment that they've had, you know, going for so long. It's not like they just decided one day to jump out there and do it. Yeah. They have been turned down for years. And so I, I would say it worked for me, but I have close members of my family who it didn't work for. They said, why did they have to go do that? That just shows how mean-spirited they are. So. Yeah. I think you're right. It's something of a calculation that I think may have worked in some ways and and have failed in others. So it's always tough when you have to decide. You know, see, <laughs> see a, lot, a lot of
1: times, a lot of times, confrontation uh, breeds uh, polarization yeah. instead of bringing people together, and uh, you know conflict ought to always be a last resort, I would think. I don't know if they felt like they were at the point of a last resort to get a hearing or not. Uh, but again, I, I approach that more on, it, was that the most effective way to, to approach things? And, and you know, they still don't have the words added. So going forward, what's, what's the plan and what would be the most effective way to have that discussion and ultimately uh, get what they want? I wish him luck yeah. So. <laughs> yeah well and and from what I was hearing now, admittedly i I talked to mainly uh, audiences that were uh, pretty friendly to to adding the words, but most of the people I talked to around the state uh, are in favor of adding the words, and even when i've uh, since the election as I've talked to a lot of my Republican friends and people within the church, uh, most of them are in favor of of adding the words. And and I'm guessing that if uh, if that were put on a ballot to be voted on by the people and we required truth in advertising, most people would support it.
0: I think you're right. So you've been in the church uh, since you were eight, and you grew up in the church. Uh, there's been a, a lot of changes in how the church has approached some of the topics that are less faith-promoting in the minds of some people. Uh, for example, we have uh, Joseph Smith's practice of polygamy, which, though not a surprise, I think, to most members of the church, uh, I think one of his wives was uh, 14 and another 16. And I think there are even cases of him becoming married, um, perhaps just on paper. Or we don't know exactly what happened, but married to women when their husbands were away. How do you reflect upon those I guess, issues that are hard to understand. I know the church has come out and quickly, uh I guess, written opinions on what has happened and to some extent leaves judgment open to the reader, but does give us some ideas of how to look at those, I guess, questionable times in our history. How do you look at uh, those events?
1: Well, first of all, I think more information is, is beneficial to people as they, we try to understand things. So I'm, I'm glad to see the, the church becoming more open about, uh, about not only those issues of polygamy, but uh, the church's historical stand on allowing uh, the priesthood for uh, people of African descent uh, and, and so forth. I think, I think getting that information out, to people who want to know about it, is is good. Um, I always have to remind myself and caution myself that it's it's generally not right to judge behaviors of 200 years ago by today's standards. Um, you know, mm-hmm. we don't know what the uh mores of the time were and and uh um, you know, it's, it's just hard to to apply today's standards to history.
0: Yeah, I, I think we understand more that Marrying at a young age was meaning 14 was not, it wasn't outright not possible to happen back then, (laughs) put it that way. I think maybe fewer than 2% or 1%, I read somewhere, marriages were at the age of 14, but they were still registering on the scale. Yeah. Of actually happening. And, you know, we didn't expect a lot of women, or even men for that matter, to go to college. Other yeah. things that we're more accustomed to. Uh, so I think they call that the historian's fallacy. When you yeah. look back at something that happened in the past and you judge its value or the, the morals of the actor in history by your own that you have in your current time. Yeah. At the same time, though, I, I think there are some things that come across as wrong no matter how you try to slice it. How do you, you know, reconcile or try to understand those issues? You know, maybe being married to someone else at the same time.
1: Well, and, uh, you know, not, I'm not trying to excuse um, bad behavior or sinful behavior, mm-hmm. but you have to remember that uh, leaders of our country, leaders of the church, are human beings also subject to the same frailties temptations and weaknesses that we all are and and just because um, somebody fails doesn't necessarily impugn their work or what they what they stand for I mean, we can take a look at, at, at Thomas Jefferson who is arguably one of the greatest presidents we've ever had and 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 yet you know he's having sexual relations with one of his slaves again. It's, it's, it's hard to, to judge that behavior on, you know, from, from current, uh, standards. And we don't know all the circumstances, but even, even admitting that that, that was wrong, does that invalidate everything he stood for? Of course uh, not. Of, of course not. And, and I think the same thing can be said of, of, of Joseph Smith. And, and Brigham Young, or whoever else you want to mention that uh, you know they may have made mistakes in their lives, but that does that invalidate who who they are or what they stood for, and you can take a look at at other religious leaders um, who who have also demonstrated human weakness, even some of the popes throughout history that have demonstrated uh, uh, human weakness does, does that invalidate the Catholic Church? Well of course no. not.
0: You make great points there. I I know a lot of people who do judge the value of an institution on the mistakes that, you know, their leaders have made or are making. And I I'm bothered by that and I think yeah. that it's a skill set perhaps mentally that people need to have to avoid that kind of jumping to conclusion that's probably more grounded in a personal identity that doesn't align with that group as opposed yeah. to Good thinking. Yeah. (laughs) So during your campaign, you promoted the minimum wage, uh, increasing it in Idaho. Uh, What was your rationale behind that? And and I ask this um, with the understanding that I personally am not convinced that that's a good idea. I I do see a place for people who are new to employment who pay four or five dollars an hour might be fine for them. It almost seems like too blunt an instrument. But what do you think makes the case for raising the minimum wage in Idaho?
1: Well, I, I see it uh, as a uh, an economic economic development tool because, you know, what really drives our economy, our consumers, spending money, uh, businesses do not make a profit if they don't have customers. And people that make the minimum wage or a little higher, are going to be spending everything they've earned. And, and so I see that as, as helping the economy, uh, helping those families make ends meet, at the same time helping the economy. And, um, you know, you can argue about, well, should, should government be, uh, telling people how to run their business? Well, they already do in a lot of other areas. Uh, there's lots of regulations on different kinds of businesses where government tells them how to, how to run their business. So why should we make an exception on setting a minimum wage?
0: Well, a lot of people feel that having all these legal restrictions on what businesses can do is hurting the economy. How do you respond to that concern?
1: Well, I I look back at the savings and loan crisis of a few years ago, and and that was not business regulation. That was a lack of regulation that very definitely hurt the economy through the uh, the bad behavior of the people who were running savings and loans and making making loans and doing things they shouldn't have been doing so that called for the need for some regulation we see that clear back to uh, teddy roosevelt's time when you had had the uh, the big uh, uh, company monopolies. trusts yeah. that that were creating trying to create monopolies and take advantage of of consumers and and it through that came a lot of the antitrust legislation that we currently have to keep a rein on, on, on greed basically.
0: Yeah, that reminds me of a quote by Adam Smith that I'll paraphrase here since I don't have it in front of me, but he said something to the effect that uh rarely will a group of tradesmen get together without talking about price setting. <laughs> so yeah. you know, here we have the yeah. you know, the champion of free market economics and, you know, he recognized very well how collusion occurs and the only way you can police that collusion uh to create I'll call it unnatural price increases, uh, need has a governmental solution. So yeah, you're right. So do you see yourself taking any further opportunities in politics, or are you happy with the school board?
1: Well, first of all, I, I very much have enjoyed my 18 years on the school board. I've got four more years on my current term, and and I've told people that this is my last term on the school board. Uh, I think uh, when, I'll, when I'll be done, it'll be like uh, 21 years on the school board, and I think that's plenty of time for anybody to serve in a position like that, and I believe that that public education is one of the most important things that that we do as a society and, uh, and I think it's important to have have some turnover in your governing board uh, so you get the new ideas to get uh, more parents involved that currently have children in in the schools mm-hmm. so so I'm not going to run for reelection for the school board, and the district knows that and my, my term. People ask me if I'm going to run for governor again. And I, I tell them, well, you know, that's four years away. We'll see what kind of condition the state is in and whether, what kind of condition I'm in and whether I think I can add anything. And I'll make the decision at that time. Um, I will always be involved in our community one way or another. I always have been. I, I currently serve on, uh, several nonprofit boards. I'm on the St. Luke's Hospital board. Mm-hmm. I've been on the Boise Public Library board. I've uh, been on a lot of different boards, some art, arts and uh, education boards. And I'll continue that kind of activity. Um, and whether I, I run for a public office again or not, I can't tell. We'll, we'll see. It's not ruled out, but it's not a guarantee that I would either.
0: Thank you, A.J. I mm-hmm. really appreciate this opportunity to talk to you and share your story and your message with our listeners.
1: Okay. Well, thank you again for the invitations. Pleasure to be here.